Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. Welcome to season four. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash Greg. Start living a better life today. We've got a great show for you. Kicking off season four, the author of American Compromise and House of Trump, House of Putin, Craig Unger is here. I'd like to thank Matthew Fassa, the maestro, for coming up with a a little revised theme song for season four. Matt Fossa, super talented guy, great musician, great oboe player, great composer. Really, really happy with what he did. I'd also like to thank Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna. They did the voices in Ukrainian and French and Spanish, which is really cool. And then Matt kind of put them all together to make it uh, almost like they're, they're their own individual instruments. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. I was on vacation. Actually, I was on hiatus. It's not accurate to say I was on vacation. I didn't really go anywhere. I was all over Twitter, obviously, but I did not do any podcasts. I did not do any 5-8 shows with LB, although we are doing one tonight. And I did not write anything other than, you know, quick tweets uh, for basically three solid weeks between the two uh, Sunday pages. And I don't know, it was kind of a It wasn't a terrible time for me to be away. I'd already written about the FBI quote-unquote raid. And in the three-week period of time, what happened is that we just find out more and more shit about Trump. And I've been saying this for, I don't know, six years now. Every time we learn something new about this guy, without exception, we don't think, hey, maybe he's innocent. We think, oh, yeah, this makes him look more guilty. It's never not that. It's always that. It has been this for six fucking years. So I feel like for myself personally, being able to step away and let mainstream media sort of get caught up with this idea that this guy is just a freaking criminal 
and always has been a criminal and a Russian puppet, I think it's been okay. As I'm recording this, it is Wednesday afternoon, the 7th of September. I don't know what's going to break between now and Friday when you're listening to this. It's just come out that there were like nuclear secrets hanging around about like what capabilities another nation had, whether it's an ally, which would be really bad, or an enemy, which would also be really bad. This shit was just floating around Mar-a-Lago. It's insane. This whole thing is nuts. Okay? It's nuts. It's, and I think that's part of the problem. It's so crazy that, you know, you, you, we've seen Manchurian Canada, and that seemed far-fetched. This is worse. This is way worse. At least with the Manchurian candidate, they had to, like, hypnotize him. He had to pass the time by playing a little solitaire. And then he went into, like, the hypnotic state and was a, a spy for the uh, hostile foreign power, right? In Trump's case, he just is from the gate. He just always has been. Everybody knew it. I mean, it, it, and didn't report on it. It's so very frustrating. That's one of the reasons I wanted Craig to come on on the first show of season four, because if I'm frustrated by it, my God, <laughs> Craig has been talking about this for decades now. I mean, he's written books about Trump and, and <laughs> there's nobody else I'd rather talk about this with to, to kick off the new season because it's, it's, it's just, it's a madness. And even knowing what I know, it's still madness. It's madness. Uh, a couple of things also that, that that happened. There's this business with the special master, which sounds made up to me. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know any of this shit. Like, sometimes the legal Twitter, God bless them, but I sort of tune out until until it comes back to reality and, 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 and there's something I can understand. But this whole special master thing sounds made up to me. It sounds like uh, just made up. Like, oh, hey, you have to do this thing. And he's like, uh, what about if we have a special master? Okay, I've never heard of that. I'm sure it's something that happens, but it's very strange. It sounds like bullshit. But, you know, lots of things sound like bullshit. You know what else sounds like bullshit? The Electoral College sounds like bullshit, right? Like, what if if you were just an impartial observer coming to the country and say, okay, well, we have a, a presidential election and we have Hillary Clinton running against Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton wins by 2.8 million votes. And you would think as the impartial observer, well, okay, so she won. So she's the president. Whoa, not so fast. We have the electoral college. See, it sounds like bullshit made up stuff. So does special master. I don't know what this means. I assume it's just going to be another speed bump along the way that uh, the Department of Justice will clear. I am not thrilled with the urgency of Merrick Garland. However, you know, the guy's careful. So he does cross the T's and dot the I's and, I don't know, make the little loop under the Y when he's writing in cursive. So if something is going to happen, I trust that he will have anticipated this and know what to do. I certainly don't. We'll see. Um, this Eileen Cannon judge ha has really thrown a fly in the ointment, but I don't know what that means either. You know, it, it seems preposterous to me that the entire national security apparatus of the United States of fucking America can grind to a halt because one obviously corrupt, moronic Trump official can write something that flies in the face of all legal precedent that has lawyers on both sides of the aisle jumping up and down screaming. That seems like Banana Republic shit to me. And it's crazy. And, it, and I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's just it's more craziness. So I'm not going to get worked up about it. There's nothing to get worked up over. We're either going to get this guy or the country's going to fail. Th those are the two options. No pressure. In the meantime, 
Jared Kushner's out on his book tour, which to me is another, it's like gaslighting insanity. No one cares about your fucking book, Jared. You're an idiot. You, you killed a million Americans because of the blue state genocide. You're one of the most horrible human beings that ever graced the, the earth. And no one cares what you say in your book. And, and for him to go on these shows, like with a straight face and try to act like he's like he's a real author and that he's a real like political diplomat kind of guy. And he actually did anything good at all in the last four years is insanity. It is gaslighting of the highest order. And his cheerleader wife, I'm so proud of Jared. Oh, fuck you, Ivanka. You're not proud of anything. You know, maybe you're happy that he got got away with two billion dollars in Saudi money to invest. Right. I don't know. It just you, you, the guy didn't barely spoke for four years. And now suddenly he's all over the news because he has this book. It's like some days I really feel like the, the gaslighting is, is is next level shit, you know, and, and my mind is just is, is just turning into tapioca pudding. I don't know. There was the one uh, reporter, I believe, for Sky News who kind of gave it back to him a little bit. But for the most part, as one would expect, you know, our supine media here in the United States just just takes it for face value. Oh, yeah, you're you're you really wrote a book. Yeah, you really did all this great stuff. Great, Mr. Cush. Fuck this guy. Again, blue state genocide. Vanity Fair reporting. Catherine Eban, one of the first guests I had on this show. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Jared Kushner has blood on his hands. Like hundreds of thousands of people are dead because of him, like directly because of decisions that he made. So I don't understand why we're giving these people a free pass. It, it's, it's just baffling to me. It makes no sense to me why a guy, an administration that, that murdered Americans effectively because of the, the lack of COVID response, the sabotaged COVID response, and then took God knows how much money out of this PPP, that, that people support them at all. But, you know, I don't understand why people in Texas support Greg Abbott. I mean, the fucking power goes out all the time, right? All the time in Texas. And we know why. We know it's because it's they want the independent power grid. How many times is the power going to go out before people start blaming the fucking governor? I, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't understand. But I, I don't know. I mean, I do understand. I get it. We have Fox News. We have CNN now that's becoming Fox News. That's another problem. But uh, at a certain point... If you're sitting there being doused by a rainstorm and you're watching the news and it tells you that it's sunny outside, like eventually, I mean, won't the water come down your eyes and kind of irritate you to some degree? I guess not. I guess not. I don't know. We're just so much more zombieish than I thought. We're so much more siloized than I thought. We're so much dumber than I thought. We're so much more willfully ignorant than I thought. So much more racist, so much more transphobic, homophobic. Uh, misogynistic, all of it, all of the bad things were just so much more of it than I thought. And it's so disappointing to see. And uh, I don't know, you know, there's plenty of people out there fighting the good fight. And I really do believe that, that we outnumber them significantly. But man, some days it's just, it just boggles the mind. It, it just, I don't even know what to say. For a guy who doesn't know what to say, I've obviously talked enough. In fact, I've talked too much here at the opening. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for sticking with me. I'm delighted to be back. I'm rested. I'm recharged. I'm full of piss and vinegar. And I don't know, what else could you be full of? Who's full of piss and vinegar? What does that expression even mean? I don't know if I like that expression. I'm here and I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm righteously angry at all of these MAGA Republicans. And God bless Joe Biden for calling them out for what they are. 
The MAGA Republicans are a threat to our democracy. They are a threat to our democracy. And, you know, the president fucking said so in a major address in front of Independence Hall. Joe calls it for what it is. And I'm really happy that he did that. I think it's really important that he did that. And uh, I stand with him against the MAGA Republicans, against the fascists, against these forces of hate trying to take over our country from we, the people. For somebody who doesn't want to say too much, I've said way too much here at the top of the show. I'm going to stop talking now. We have a great interview coming up. The great journalist, Craig Unger, is here. We'll be right back. Faster than a viral meme. More powerful than Russian propaganda. Able to craft tall tales with a single tweet. Look, up in the Times, it's a spin doctor. It's a show. It's Haberman. Haberman, Haberman. Arms a flag for the slender man. Playing down Donald's crimes. Every day in the New York Times. Trust wash. Here comes the Haberman. Haberman. Haberman, a modern-day Walter Durante, helping Trump normalize, spreading the MAGA lies. Gaslight, here comes the Haberman. Haberman, oh Haberman, journalistical garbage can. You damn well, Trump's a crook. Save the good stuff for the book. Get lost. Please no more, Haberman. Craig Unger, welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be back. So how how are you? How was your summer? What have you been working on? How's it going? Uh, things are pretty good. Um, I'm working away, just trying to figure out the, what the next project. It's sort of early stages. And I don't like to talk too much, but... But it's just, we're sort of watching this uh, massive national psychodrama play out. <laughs> and you get you have to laugh or you're going to, you know, it's just shocking beyond belief. And I, I feel like I've been writing about this kind of stuff for, for in books for more than tw- for 20 years or so. <laughs> and it's always worse than I imagined. No matter how, I, I start off with people calling me paranoid and crazy. And it turns out I've understated the case a thousandfold. That's it. That's it. That's, that's exactly what was. Professional I... virgin being horrified. Oh my God, there's a spy in the White House. And he's <laughs> actually carrying out a massive uh, uh, measures operation. It's 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 horrifying. So I, I've been I've been on I, I hesitate to say vacation. I've been on hiatus for the last three weeks. So this is the first podcast I've done um, in I guess four Fridays. It is the the debut of season four of my Prevail podcast. But I felt like it was a good time for me to step away and not write anything because I feel like everybody not everybody listening to this but everybody sort of in the mainstream media is catching up to stuff that I've already known about and been writing about for a long time. So if I feel this way, I can't even imagine how you feel because you said you've been writing about this for, for years. Like what, 
emotionally, how do you feel? Do you feel vindicated? Do you feel like, ha ha? Or are you just like banging your head against the wall? Like, how are you feeling? Oh, I feel like it, it, it's, you become a little inured to it because it's your, you follow stuff day, day after day after day. And it's just that I, watching bits of Trump's speech from last night was um, more horrifying than I you know, could, could have imagined. As it happens, I've been rereading uh, a book from long ago, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly relevant. I'm getting a double dose every day. You know? <laughs> it, it's, it's, I, I can't, it's just insane. I mean, I, you know, when we started this, like you said, you, I, I wrote in, in my book, uh, which is shorter and not nearly as 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 comprehensive or as old as as your stuff, you know, this is the greatest threat to our democracy and the republic since the Civil War, and the future of the Union is in doubt, and this guy's a threat to very American way of life. And again, I felt like a little bit like I was um, Chicken Little, but no, I'm not. Well, 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 to catch you up, since you've been on vacation, intervening <laughs> three weeks. I think the rest of the United States has been catching up. And yeah. I think the January 6th uh, commission did a good job of that. And I think Biden's speech did as well. And it's the first time to me hearing, I, he used the word semi-fascist, and he's referring to the MAGA people who are the vast majority of the Republican Party. I think he was generous in saying it's not all of it. Yeah. But, you know, what What you st- we've started to see is these guys are a real threat to democracy, we have to fight back. And the Democratic Party, not too long ago, remember, under under Obama, it was, oh, this is the new era of post-partisan politics, right? (laughs) That doesn't hold up terribly well right now, I think. No. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) Wishful thinking, I think, to say the the least. Um, I was going to ask about Biden later, but we'll we'll talk about him now. I, I think you know, I've said this before. I think he's the best president of my lifetime, which which speaks to basically that there haven't been very many good presidents in my lifetime. But also, I really do think he's doing a, a great job at a very difficult time in U.S. history, um, managing to kind of attack these problems without alienating too many people, which is really a hard needle to thread. What do you think? Oh, no, absolutely. And I think I mean, I think it's amazing how much he's been able to do, given how slim the majority uh, the Democrats have in Congress. And I think he doesn't get credit for a lot of things that are just enormous. Uh, he instantly brought NATO back together after yes. Trump. And if you were to look at the Ukraine war, the Soviet inv- the Russian invasion, um, you can just imagine if Trump were president, oh, NATO God. would not exist. Ukraine would have collapsed like that. And I think we would have been off in a Putin would have been so much stronger and so much bigger threat, uh, whereas now he's somewhat isolated. Yeah, no, I, I think Biden isn't given enough credit for, for the way he handled the Ukraine thing. I, I think and I've said this before on the pod, but at the very beginning of the war, when he was trying to stir up trouble in Donbass, when Putin was trying to do that, and Biden sort of released the intelligence tapes and said, this is what he's going to try to do. I think Putin never recovered from that. I think he was so freaked out that we were in his comms that it blew his little fucking puny mind. And after that, it became, you know, zero to 60 insanity. Right. And I, I'm I'm sort of astounded. I don't know the answer to this question is why Putin didn't invade when Trump was still president. 
I mean, I think you would have had a whole different calculus there. And I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question. I've 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 also thought that there. It's one of the recurring mysteries. You know, he it, maybe he was planning on it, or maybe there was something that he thought he was going to get out of a Trump second term that he couldn't, and therefore he felt the need to do it. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know either. It's it's uh, it is interesting, and and maybe he just you know he's just high on his own supply. I mean, you're that insulated and that isolated, and you're listening to yes men and sycophants, and you think you're all powerful, and you're not. You know, I don't. Well, know. I think like, he thought he had destroyed NATO, that they were just a shell, and it did. I mean, and that's why I think the revitalization by Biden was so important. I agree. Yeah, no, the NATO thing is is huge. Also. The fact that NATO hasn't invaded Russia now just completely destroys any argument Putin has because he's is constantly with this. Oh, NATO is going to come. They're going to invade. They're going to. They're not going to invade. Yeah, it's worth reminding. It is a defensive organization. The one yeah. time it's been called into invade uh, was in retaliation for the World Trade Center bombings uh, in Afghanistan. And there, you did see NATO forces go into Afghanistan. But that's the only time it, it's been in, what, since 1945? I mean, yeah. in decades. Uh, you certainly see why uh, Ukraine would want to be in NATO yeah. or anyone on, on, on the Russian border. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, Putin's all paranoid, but I, I think all of their military is there. It's a super quagmire. I think you and me and six guys with with, with some jeeps could invade Russia right now. There's no military left. I, I don't know where all these people are. Right. You know, it's a huge country. All of the military is involved in this horrible quagmire um, and getting shelled, and they're losing munitions and all this stuff. It's 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 not great in terms of defense, and yet nobody's invading. Nobody wants to. You know, we, nobody wants to invade you, Putin. We don't care about your country. We're fine with you just staying where you are. That's what I think. So. Last time you were on, we talked about the FBI a lot, okay? And right. you kind of hit me to the guy, James Kallstrom, who was the, the head of the, the New York Bureau of the FBI, who Trump had been cultivating a relationship with for decades, and, you know, who I think set the tone for that place in a lot of ways and, and helped Trump not get arrested for years and years and years. So now the FBI, of course, is, is the entity that's that's gone to... To, to Mar-a-Lago and found all this shit. And uh, have we come full circle? Is the FBI back around? Like, what, what do you think? It, you know, it's it's comical to hear the FBI described as a radical liberal organization <laughs> by Democrats. I mean, it, it's just anyone knows its history. I, I believe the, in the entire history of the FBI, they've only had Republican directors. And certainly, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover was, you know, was wiretapping Martin Luther King. This was not the idea. That this is radical left-wing organization is is insane, and to some extent, Trump had it in its pocket, as did Rudy Giuliani. And which is not to say everyone in the FBI was in their pocket, but I, I, I think some of them were, and I and I think that it would be worth a deep dive to, for someone to do the FBI's investigations over this period because it's extremely. I think it's a very checkered history. I mean, uh, I, and, and I say this because a lot of stuff in my book came from FBI documents. So they <laughs> say they didn't know this. I mean, if, if you talk about Trump laundering money, uh, most of that stuff came from uh, with the Russian mafia. 
uh, most of that stuff came from uh, FBI documents, which are pretty easily available. Yeah. And yet they ignored it and we didn't hear about it. And uh, I feel like another funny thing, getting back to the, the how you must feel as Trump has has made his his run here, you know, from 2015 on, I feel like all of us are kind of waiting for, oh, this is going to be the thing that's going to get him. You know, certainly from the beginning, the more time that goes on, the the more it becomes like, what's it going to take? You know, but but I feel like somebody will come out like remember Adam Davidson wrote that great piece in The New Yorker about Baku and the Trump Tower boondoggle. And maybe it was laundering money for the Iranian mob. And and I remember reading that and being like, oh, this is it. This is the thing that's going to get him. (laughs) And then that just goes along. And then you have the Suzanne Craig, you know, sort of expose in The Times magazine about all his finances and, and the tax cheating and all this stuff that he did and then that just goes along and you have the the, the impeachments and the the Mueller report and the Ukraine stuff and 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 the insurrection and all of the J6 and now it's like <laughs> I, I don't know and as as these things go along people wind up on Twitter you know like like Pete Strzok who did the whole crossfire hurricane he's on Twitter now just being like yeah this is this is this is this and I I don't know it's very surreal to me it's, it's I, I'm trying to figure out it, even an analogy it's very strange well a lot of I mean and, and Trump was sort of very smart at this a lot of what they do is not strictly speaking illegal or at least it's very very hard to prosecute and yeah. and they we have so many and you know one quote I use too many, too often, but it's an old friend of mine, Mike Kinsley, said that the real scandal is what is legal. Yeah. And so, for example, when it comes to money laundering, to prosecute Trump for money laundering Russian money, uh, you have to prove he knew that the money came from illicit sources. And proving his state of mind is very, very difficult. I would argue he did this at least 1,300 times, and maybe that uh, <laughs> constitutes a pattern. And when I say he did this, I mean he 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 sold condos in all cash transactions to uh, anonymous parties where the anonymous the beneficial ownership was anonymous in an LLC, a limited liability company, or something like that. So. That he was doing that, that maybe that's a pattern. If he did it two or three times, that could be an accident. But this is a pattern. He's making lots of money all the time. But again and again, it's uh, not prosecuted. Or and I, I think it doesn't get the attention it deserves. I mean, do you want as a president uh, someone who's been laundering money for the Russian mafia? Shouldn't isn't that w- worthy of the net? A discussion uh, worthy of the national conversation. <laughs> Maybe it's the words like money laundering sounds soft. It doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. Maybe if it had a different name, it would be regarded as something you know worse than what it is. In effect, he's helping them fence stolen shit. You know, he's you know by by doing these condos, and there's so many ripple effects to it. Like the guys come in, they buy the condos in cash. The money is there you know, through, through all this stuff, but they overpay for the, for the condos. And that drives the price up of everything else. Because if you're doing real estate appraisal, you're looking at the, oh, this condo sold for X, therefore my condo should sell for Y. And and so, so it really does have an impact, not just on him, but on everybody. And the amount of dark money out there is just uh, mind blowing. It's, you know, I've heard estimates of over 30 
trillion dollars. That's with a TR, um, uh, which is like twice the GDP of the United States of America. And when you, you think of it, it's almost become a geopolitical force because we see it uh, has effectively taken over the Republican Party. And I, yes. I, I, I think that is, and through Citizens United, which is already a horrifying decision by the yeah. Supreme Court, you have the added loophole that naturalized American uh, citizens like Leonard Blavatnik, who's a, an oligarch with about $16 billion, can funnel huge amounts of money into Republican senatorial campaigns and stuff like that on and on and on. Yeah, it's getting worse, too. I mean, it, it, these outfits like Leonard Leo is, it, um, you know, controls a bunch of different outlets. He's more famous for the Federalist Society, but there's the judicial, what is it, Judicial Crisis Network and a whole shit ton of other of these. I, I don't even know what they are. They're organizations. They're 50 whatevers. And, you know, they all they're not supposed to spend money politically. They can only spend like 49 percent. So they give 49 percent to like, you know, uh, Shell Company A and it gives 49 percent to Shell Company B and on and on and on it goes like fucking Russian Russian nesting dolls. Right. On and on and on until most of the money does wind up being used for political purposes, which it's not supposed to be used for. And meanwhile, none of it can be taxed. It's just a this horrible boondoggle. And we don't know where the money comes from. Like there, because of Citizens United and the fact that there's, you know, there's no disclosure. For all we know, this shit just comes right in from God knows who, you know, Russian oligarchs are worse. Right. For more, much longer than people realize, I, you know, it's um, one, of, one of my sources did business in uh, Russia in the early 90s when it was really the wild, wild west and it was just starting out. And you had a, a guy who's now an oligarch wanting uh, to give a million dollar payoff to Tom DeLay. <laughs> and and his, his American buddy had to say, no, 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 you, that's not the way you do it. You go to a lob, uh, lobbyist on K Street, like Paul Manafort, and he'll pay them off and it'll then because and the, and the, the thing was oh you made bribery legal how wonderful <laughs> you know <that> was... <laughs> you know i mean it is it, it it's it's hard to see it for any any other way but i i you were talking about questions you don't know what never made sense to me is where does the money really go like let's say okay there's a million dollars that needs to go from some Russian criminal to uh, some American politician. And it goes through a bunch of chains so that it gets there legally. But what does that mean? Like somebody gives half a million dollars to the campaign. It's not the same thing as them giving them a suitcase of money. Or is it like how much of it can they use for personal bullshit? Really? That's the part that never really makes sense to me. And nobody's been able to explain. You mean with super PACs or? or All of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my experience I, i'm not an expert on all this stuff exactly but i mean my understanding of super PACs was they could do issues like gun control yeah which are clearly aligned with the republicans but they could not back individual candidates but they can't wh wh where does the money go it's not, if it's just to buy ads it's not making tom delay or whoever's life any better it's not like he can go buy some fancy car with it or maybe he can, and he can bill it to the... Well, I, I mean, I, I think Trump certainly has been... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he were taking some liberties with the uh, couple hundred million he raised for uh, the January 6th. You know, I mean, 
get right out of town. Right? Yeah, I mean, the Republican senatorial campaign committee is said to be in trouble right now, even though they've raised like $200 million and the money's just going out to the Trump. And what exactly what he does with it is unclear. Big Macs and lawyers, I don't know. You know, it's this, McDonald's is, is expensive with the inflation, I suppose. So, okay, I got a bunch more questions. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Craig Unger. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash Greg. Start living a better life today. You know, it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. And let's face it, right now, there's a lot of challenges, like even in a global sense. We have we have fascists trying to take over the government. We have climate change. Everybody is still reeling from the, the pandemic and the quarantine and all of the, the adverse mental health effects of that. It's hard. Sometimes, I, I mean, me, I just sometimes I want to curl up under my desk and, and, and just stay there. But that doesn't really solve anything. We have to find our own solutions. And when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or how small. Now, I'm a big believer in therapy. My wife's a therapist. I've been to therapy on and off. And when BetterHelp started sponsoring Prevail Podcasts, uh, I don't know, earlier this year, last year, whenever it was, I took advantage of it. I went to BetterHelp. I used the promo code. I got 10% off and I got hooked up with a really great therapist who absolutely helped me. And I'm delighted that they're back sponsoring the show because I want them to help you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. Switch therapists at any time. I didn't have to. I love my therapist, but you can switch if you want. It usually takes like 48 hours to get started, which is great because when you're in a crisis, you want to talk to somebody like sooner rather than later, right? It's it's really just a great service. Like I said, I'm delighted. I'm very, very happy that they're back sponsoring the pod. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash Greg today. Get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Greg. Start living a better life today. Okay, we're back with Craig Unger. You have your books behind you. I didn't mention, I'll mention them in the intro, but uh, American Compromise, House of Trump, House of Putin, bunch of other things that you wrote uh, before. Um, I want to get back to the FBI for a, a, a quick second. So we talked a little bit about Chris Ray and uh, what his deal is. Is he is he good? Is he bad? Is he neutral? He certainly has a weird, murky background. He worked for a, a very boutique law firm that whose largest client was like Gazprom. He's the guy that hid Chris Christie's phone during the whole thing. And also Trump handpicked him to replace Comey. So right off the bat, maybe he shouldn't be around. Then he sat on all the Kavanaugh stuff and he's been very cagey. My, my, my sense is that Senator Whitehouse doesn't like him at all. So is this now a vindication of Chris Ray, the fact that the FBI did this or is it to the point of they only did this because it was a fucking five alarm fire national security emergency? I think it's probably the latter. And I mean, when you look at those documents and and uh, and there is serious informed speculation about what's in those documents. And you look at the, the magnitude of the security break. Look, I just wrote a book on Trump being a spy and my jaw is dropping after this. <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? It, it, it's like. 
the, the, the people who were passing through Mar-a-Lago, you had this one Russian spy, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't have her, I mean, this was ex- reported last week, who, who was in and out of uh, Mar-a-Lago. The one that claimed to be one of the Rothschilds. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you have um, 40 empty folders, or is it 48? But now it's possible they were just scattered all over and no one's paying attention to them. But any of these issues, one issue after another raises uh, massive security concerns. And you, it, it, it happens. There have been uh, Western spies in Germany who've been uh, terminated by the Russians recently. Uh, so we, we, we don't know if that, that has anything to do with this. But, you know, I, I, I try to sort of... Uh, my mind starts reeling when I try to come up with, well, well what was Trump really going to do with these documents? Why were they there? And <laughs> there's no good reason. The, the only reason is uh, that they have value and he was going to monetize them one way or another, or perhaps use them uh, as weapons for ex- or for extortion or bribery or as protection. That's basically what you can do with valuable information. And morally, I wouldn't put anything past him. No, he's completely amoral. He'll do anything for a buck, you know, and uh, which we know. I mean, the Saudi that 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 golf tournament, that live golf tournament. I mean, they were they were there like two weeks before this happened. Remember, um, right. there's this golf tournament which is funded by the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. And uh, and they're there. So if you're going to pass documents to somebody, hey, here's your golf bag. You know, they, it's not hard. Right. And, and let's not forget that uh, the son-in-law, <laughs> Jared, gets a $2 billion investment from the Saudis during this period. And he's the one that read all the damn things. Like Trump, Trump is not, let, let's, how should I put this uh, uh, diplomatically? Trump is not a reader. He didn't sit around reading this shit. Jared did. We know this. He, Jared's the one that requested the, the P, you know, the briefs and, and, and sort of dictated what they were going to be about. He knew all that shit. So, you know, if something's going to go off on and, and he failed his security clearance, he lied twice on this SF-86, should have gone to jail just for that. Instead, Trump insisted that he be given the clearance anyway. And, you know, what can they do about it? Nothing, apparently. Now, this is scary stuff. It really is. Uh, and Jared's going to be around a long time, you know. Uh, you know, you have Donald Trump Jr. I don't know how this will end. I mean, but it's it's not going to end quickly. I think you know. Uh, but it, each chapter is is like like you you have the threat of a of a cataclysmic conflict coming, whether it's the upcoming midterms or whatever. Because we know if if the Republicans win the midterms, once they take up office in early January, they're going to immediately bring impeachment proceeding against Biden, all these show trials, and it'll turn into a joke. Uh, The government will come to a halt. And this is going to happen again and again and again. I sort of was hoping that, and I'm still hoping, I guess, that enough people wake up and that the Republican Party rejects this, uh, this cancer that's taken it over and goes in favor of something else, which is why I was encouraged by some of this Liz Cheney business. Not that I agree with her politically, but she's not, you know, working for the fucking Russians, which is nice. That's that's it. That's the bar I have now for the other party. Maybe don't be working for a hostile foreign power. Maybe be, you know, working for us. And uh, I disagree with everything else she does. But 
if it comes out that Trump did something as horrible as we maybe think he did and he gets busted and everybody that had that Trump stink on him is therefore uh, anathema, she is somebody that can be like, hey, look at me. I wasn't part of that and presumptively would be the new leader of a new Republican Party. But I think that ship has sailed. I think they I think it's too late almost. Well, it's too late for the midterms, but but I think Trump is losing some support, uh, not much. I mean, I, his people completely dominate the Republican Party. They are the. Yeah. I, I think Liz Cheney race is, is worth examining because she did get uh, what twenty seven percent of the vote or what whatever it was. Some, I mean, she was beaten badly. Yeah. But still, a number of Republicans stuck with her, and what remains of the MAGA Republican Party, I think, is not is a minority party. Uh, it's not enough to win national elections. Yeah. So you're going to see this insane uh, gerrymandering and the the fights to get uh, MAGA secretaries of states and so forth, and all that's happening now and will be playing out over the next uh, two years. I mean, the other thing that I, the other hopeful thing that I that I think is that, like, if you you mentioned this before, it's hard to prove Trump did these crimes because it's complicated. Money laundering is complicated. It's complicated to get a jury to understand it and all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, that part is complicated. Trying to even nail him for the insurrection is complicated. We know what he did, but to actually pr- to charge him with something in a court of law and do RICO is complicated. This isn't complicated. This is he isn't supposed to take these things. He took them. We asked for them back. He didn't give them back. And also, where the fuck are they? Like, it's it's pretty hard to even spin. Right. It. right. And you and you, judging from I, I'm not a lawyer, but the, the, it looks like the Justice Department has been absolutely meticulous. Yeah. And if anything, they've undercharged. And every time Trump's lawyers raise questions, they just open the door for the Justice Department to dump more of this crap on. Uh, I mean, it's just sort of astonishing. We're back to the to the phase where this was always sort of a fun piece of the of the Trump era in in when he was president was that uh, he would do some fucking horrible thing. And then the Republican Party, all of the people would go on TV and they'd come up with some bullshit talking point. They'd spend all day talking about the talking point. And then Trump would tweet some dumb thing that undercut their talking point. Right. (laughs) So we're back to that, except that now it's it's much worse because, uh, you know, everything he's saying is. Is probably going to land him in. It should land him in prison. Right. It's all in the legal arena now, and yeah. he doesn't have the protection of the executive of being president. And you can see his strategy has been to delay, 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 which he always does. He he also has mechanisms that date back to his spiritual godfather Roy Cohn, <laughs> who was his lawyer back in the eighties, and sort of taught him how to. Uh, do things without getting without leaving fingerprints and and that working with lawyers he would often make the lawyers become operational in carrying out whatever mission he had and then he would say oh we can't discuss that that's attorney client privilege and he had a hundred different excuses like that and we, we see them being played out again and again now uh with these documents i wonder i mean it it certainly feels like this is going to be the thing, but again, I've I've been down this road before. I, I I've been Charlie Brown, and Lucy keeps pulling the football away, and you know. But at at, at a certain point, I mean, something's got to 
get him right or 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 no or we're just gonna just keep 10 years from now we'll, we'll be doing I, this. I do think it is a matter and that's why i was cheered some of my biden speech that it, it's now we either fight back or we lose democracy and and i think it it's worth framing even congressional races as as that's what it's about really and with the uh the end of roe v wade that's part of what it's about as well and we'll see i mean i i think biden and uh, I think partly because of Roe v. Wade and 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 Biden has had a few good weeks. Things look a lot better now than they did say uh, <laughs> a month ago. I don't think it had anything to do with your vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I agree. I and I think that the uh, you know the 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 old white male punditry is really drastically underselling the effect that the Dobbs decision has on on voting. I think there's. I, the women are angry and they should be. I mean, men are angry too, but women are really pissed off. Young women in particular, who are the ones that are really going to be directly impacted by this. I think it's going to show up in the polls. That that certainly was what the polling indicates. And we're going to see some things we maybe haven't seen. And then Biden's doing good stuff for people. Like at the end of the day, you vote for people because they improve your life in some meaningful way or you feel safe or whatever. Some of these things that he's doing are really going to help people. That the 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 cap of Medicare prescription stuff, that's going to help a lot of people, like a lot of people, people who go vote. I mean, you can say, you know, FJB, let's go, Brandon, but are you going to give the money? You're going to pay more for your medicine? I don't know. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, what's scary, though, is so people are so siloed off that you don't know the extent to which you can penetrate the others. I mean, uh, mm. I uh, I got my first uh, text message from someone who had been a Trumpster who read a book who said, "Oh, you changed, you changed my mind." Wow, good job. Uh, but I, I I think that happens very very rarely. I mean, yeah. for the most part, uh, we are in these impenetrable silos, and people rarely cross from one to another. I think that people are sick of Trump generally. I mean, you know, he's got his his fans and that, that they're they're a lost cause. You know, McDonald's doesn't try to get the health food vegans to go eat at McDonald's. They just they don't even bother trying. But I do think, you know, I've seen it in my own life. There's a there's a vast number of people in the middle who kind of don't pay that much attention. But I don't think they like him, which is interesting because you see sort of a shift in in the messaging from the right away from pro-Trump and more on anti-Biden kind of stuff. Uh, that's what I've seen. You know, they're trying to make him into, first he's this enfeebled, horrible, you know, senile guy, but now he's Satan, because <laughs> all-powerful. Like, which is it? <laughs> yeah, know. I mean, it's also, I mean, having followed him at a distance for 40 years, he, he was the ultimate Democratic centrist, you know? Yeah. I mean, the idea that he's a radical leftist is, is kind of nuts. I think he's delivering more than almost any any president I can remember. Yeah, yeah. I think he I think he genuinely gives a shit, which is nice because I I don't know that all that all of them necessarily do. I think they're, you know, people go into this for different reasons. And you know, one of the benefits of him being as old as he is is he's he's not worried about you know eight years from now what he's going to be doing. I think he he knows he's his time is limited and he's trying to maximize every second that he's there, which is good. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I just uh <laughs> I I hope his health is good. That's all I can say. 
<laughs> we just need as long as he's upright, he'll win. I think. Yeah. I don't think they have anybody to run against him. Assuming that everything continues the way that it is now, where the GOP cannot extricate the MAGA element quickly enough. I mean, I don't think DeSantis well, don't think can. Yeah. Even, yeah. But, but I have been assuming someone like DeSantis would be the likely nominee. I don't think he's. I don't think he has a national. You know. I mean. Trump is there's a lot of horrible things about Trump, but he is a celebrity. He he can he can get people to go to these damn rallies. Nobody's going to a Ron DeSantis rally you know, it's just in Iowa or Pennsylvania. It's just not happening. The guy's a buffoon. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, uh oh, you don't agree. You th- no, <laughs> I, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I don't know how much. Um... You know, when campaigns get going, you never know what happens. Yeah, you're right. But I don't know. I feel somewhat I, I was more afraid of him a year ago than I am now. And I also I think that the Joel Greenberg thing is going to hit him somehow. You yeah, know, we'll see. But I don't know. And apart from him, I, I there's no obvious front runner that I can see. Maybe maybe uh, Christy Noem, I guess. I don't know. Well, you, let's not forget how fast people become celebrities once they in the in a, I mean, in someone like Nikki Haley, I don't know, or uh, who would be their obvious one? Yeah, I, oh Pence, I guess, but uh, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't know that he has the. Uh, yeah, he can't. I think Tom Cotton would make a. Oh God, he's he's dangerous. Yeah, he's he's a dangerous one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ted Cruz will probably run again. It's awful, but historically speaking. With the exception of H.W. Bush um, in, uh, when was that, 88, um, or rather 92, the presidents who are incumbents win re-election unless they really fuck up bad, you know, unless there's a real issue with it. Hoover, uh, Carter, and we'll talk about that in a minute, too, and and Trump, you know, those are the three. They, they, they're failures. Right. I don't think Biden's a failure. I, I don't think it's, you know. No, not at all. I mean, I think it's astounding what he's accomplished. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I I do think the press has not given him nearly enough credit. No. And, um, you know, I mean, to see him assailed as this radical leftist and when you look at the right wing press, is it's just crazy beyond belief. Yeah. Well, they have to, you know, I worry about, you know, the, 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 the Kamala hit pieces are, are severe and they they know that she's a threat and they've been, they've been trying to Hillary her for a while now. And I worry a little bit that that might, you know, backfire. I I think that is the big vulnerability because I don't think if, if Biden falls, has a healthcare issue or something, I don't think she's a viable replacement, uh, electable. Yeah. I, 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 I was, I, and I am, I love Kamala. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, leading the Kamala man wagon, but I, the, the country is way more racist and misogynist than I think I thought, you know, four years ago. Yeah. It just is. I'm for winning. but <laughs> <laughs> No, we have to win. But I, you know, if Biden wins again, I think, and I've said this before too, I think he will retire while he's, you know, after a year and hand her the keys to the car and let her do the job for a few years. And then she can run as an incumbent, which I think would help. So uh, I really do think he would do. I think he would want to do that. Actually, I think it would be meaningful for him. Right. Um, 
Yeah. I'm wondering if she can be, you know, in a lot of ways, I think Biden is, it was a much better choice than I originally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, would have thought because he is this sort of moderate man who most Americans can identify with in, in mm -hmm. one other but he's also fighting pretty hard uh and uh, putting up a really good fight against uh long odds when he they have just the razor thin control of congress uh and the way they got those bills in a month or so ago was yeah was was very impressive so I don't know. I hope his luck holds out. <laughs> I think we all do. You know, I, he's got a lot of people praying for him, I'm sure. You know, I don't know that that helps, but it can't hurt, I suppose. Um, so last time you were on, we also talked a little bit about the media, um, you know, which certainly in 2015, 2016, just just failed big time. As you pointed out, the stuff about Trump being a criminal is in the freaking FBI files. There's stuff in the archives of the New York Times that the New York Times didn't subsequently write about. I feel like things have almost gotten worse since then. I think the Times has just gone completely into the shitter. I don't know what the fuck they're to the point where you have to question the 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 allegiances of who's running that that thing. And uh and now this debacle at CNN right, where the right. new guy has come in and just been like now we're going to do this, this, and this. Like, he's, gotten, he's gotten rid of, of Jeff, Jeff Tubin, Brian Stelter, and John Harwood. Yeah, um, and uh, it's very scary what's happening there. And I mean, I mean, he and I forget who one official at CNN said we we want to make sure we have access to Donald Trump. Just mm. bald. Uh, I mean, those are that is what defines access journalism. And to me, it's it's always been that. Uh, when you're access journalism, you end up carrying water for someone. Yeah. Donald Trump will give you access, but only if he can be sure you're going to deliver the message he wants delivered. And I think CNN has fallen prey to that. And it's, it's very clear. Yeah. I mean, if CNN can rebound and become a, you know, a viable outfit that a lot of people watch, is Trump really going to not go on there? I mean, the guy is such a media whore. He wants to be in the spotlight all the time. Like, I feel like the access thing with him is a little bit phony baloney. Like, this is a guy that likes to talk to the media. He wants people writing about him. And he wants his name in the press all the time. Right. Um, but look how look how he fueled Fox News. I mean, he just supercharged it. And, and it's uh, sad but true, but its ratings are higher than anyone else's. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know if they're having a bit of a spat uh, with CNN. It'll be interesting to see how he plays uh, CNN and Fox. Yeah, to his advantage, he'll try. So what would you do to, to, to redress the problems with the media? I mean, there's so many, there's so many issues. One of, one of the things was on, um, somebody did a, a pseudonymous account on Twitter, did an interesting thread about why CNN is doing this and the long and the short is that because of Citizens United, so much money goes into advertising during these midterms and during the, especially during the presidential election years, that they make so much more money than they used to on ads in those cycles that they're never they they like Citizens United and they want it to stay and they're never going to criticize it and they're willing to just do whatever it takes to you know screw around with the system. So that's a that's a byproduct of that that I hadn't even considered. Right. No, absolutely. Um... 
It's very depressing. I mean, another part of this, of course, is social media. And and I, I, th I think what, what's so scary about it is the way it, it has created these uh, silos and people don't go from one to another. And you see it replicated in cable news, really, with, with uh, Fox being the MAGA crowd. And now CNN appears to be trying to, oh, we want some of the MAGA crowd, too, because there's big ad dollars there. Um, and this is scary. I mean, I was thinking in, just in broad terms that the, you know, the Constitution, famously, the First Amendment is, uh, is about freedom of the press. But the press is just a small part of the media now. And the, the Constitution doesn't say anything about media. And of course, they, media didn't have any meaning as a word back then. And they didn't know about it. There was no radio, no TV, no internet, no social media. So things have changed phenomenally. And in the old days, that, that First Amendment was so, uh, censorship appeared to be the only real threat to the press. But now there are a hundred different ways of manipulating it through social media, through drowning people out, and through the money, uh, as, as you illustrated with Citizens United. Uh, and that is what's shaping our media today. And there's almost no regulation of it whatsoever. I mean, Citizens United is the, is, means the regulation of it. And I, I think it's been a huge problem. Uh, when I grew up, you had the Fairness Doctrine, the FCC, the Federal Communications Division. We only had three network broadcasting channels back then. That was it. Yeah. And they had to give equal time to both parties. Well, that had its flaws because in, in its way, but still, it's now completely out of control. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the social media thing, like that's the space really that I, that I operate in because I don't have a show. I don't I work for the New York times. Or something. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, that's never been my, my thing, but me and people like me trying to, you know, write stuff that's happening um, and, and, and fill the space. But there's the, the money, the big money is going to always fall to these MAGA type people. Like there's always, I'm constantly reading about the guy that Malone, the guy that that took over controlling interest of CNN, libertarian billionaire, you know, aren't all these fucking billionaires libertarian? Like what a, you know, libertarian is just a euphemism for like selfish asshole. I don't know. It's, it's, it is. I, yeah. This means I don't want to pay taxes and share any of my grotesque wealth. Um I, I, I don't know what to do about it. Like short, like to have a real news system that's operational, you need to change the laws a little bit. You need to incentivize the news being fact-based and reality-based and, and not just, you know, uh, most of the programming being people at tables shouting at each other and stuff like that. And I don't know, I don't know how we, we get that. I don't know that people want it. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, you keep hearing about the, the liberal media, the liberal media, the liberal media. Did it ever occur to people, where did you hear that? Because <laughs> you hear it on Fox News and you hear it in the right-wing media. If the media were really liberal, it would be talking about the right-wing media, not the... Yeah. I mean, it, it's all counterintuitive. Yeah. No, it's, it, combining the words liberal and media together is a is a lot of genius, I think, on their part. You got to tip your hat to these fuckers, right? But the 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 right has been very smart about that and messaging, and they are, it's very effective. And it, it's just, I think, liberals have not been nearly 
is good at it. Um, and that's one reason I was good to see some fighting back from Biden the other day. I mean, yeah. I think more of that. I think things need to be framed that way that that um, it, it, it's also, you know, one of the big failings of mainstream media has been this um, false equivalencies that, you know, on one hand, uh, the Democrats say two and two is four. On the other hand, the Republicans say two, it, it's five. Reasonable people disagree. No, they're, they're <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. Let's give. Let's del- our first goal as as in journalism should be to deliver truth uh, yeah. to help people understand the truth, not to give equal time to competing assholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well put. Do you follow that New York Times pitch bot on Twitter? Do you know what that is? No, I'm not sure I know which one you're talking about. Oh, it's a Twitter account, and it's just the whole feed is just like fake New York Times pitches. Like, you know how the Times would be like, whether it's this person here or Republicans doing this, blah, blah, blah. And it's wow. it's it's the best thing on, on Twitter right now. Oh, it's so oh. funny. And, and and sometimes it'll cross over. Like, he'll just he'll post something that really happened. Like, you know, for the health of the country, uh, Biden should pardon Trump. Like, stupid shit like that that makes no sense. That they'll sort of predict what the New York Times will, how they'll frame their both sides bullshit. Right, right. I, I'm sure I, I saw one uh, saying <laughs> Trump will pardon everyone who stormed the Capitol. Um, and then Biden s- says that, you know, that was semi fascism. So the Times says Biden's being divisive. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they are, and it's never, you know, it's never the Republicans who are in disarray. Always Dems. These companies want to be in business no matter who wins. That I mean, and that's part of what's going on, is imagine if uh, the Republicans win the midterms and win the next, the 2024 presidential election, whether it's DeSantis or Trump, uh, they want to keep in business. And the government can shut them down. And they can steer enough money around to help their rivals or, or whatever. They can play with it one way or another. And and so you see the, the corporate press positioning itself for the future, always hedging its bets. Uh, maybe we have to continue to uh, maintain good relations with the Republicans. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, I'm waiting for this big wake up sort of moment. So I, it, it's really... It is remarkable that Biden said the things that he said, because um, I, I read an op-ed that that I can't remember the, the guy who wrote it talking about how how ra- not radical, but unprecedented this kind of speech was and that he's really calling out these people as enemies of the, you know, and, and fingering them and also giving an off ramp, you know, one last off ramp before the fucking ship goes down right, uh, right. to these people that want to get out, um, which is also very savvy. You know, because a Republican person watching that could be like, well, I'm not one of these MAGA crazies. I don't want to storm the Capitol. I don't want, okay, great. That's what we want, you know? Um, I I just, I, I don't know. I hope that it that it works out okay. Now, on the topic of treason, because I think <laughs> you wrote um, back in 91, okay, for, for Esquire, you wrote about Reagan Bush and the CIA basically rat-fucking the 1980 election. So um, and you guys you took a lot of heat for that. It was a, a rough period for you. Um, looking back no, now, you know, knowing what we know now, how much to blame is is Ronald Reagan for all of this bullshit? Well, I, I, th- I think one thing I, I kind of want to differentiate, you know, 
a lot of people think all this happened in the Trump era, and I'm saying, no, 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 no. I've been writing <laughs> books like this for over 20 years. <laughs> Five books on the Republican Party's assault on democracy. And, uh, you know, I think if you go back um, to, uh, I was just out of high school in 1968, and uh, I, I mean, th there's been treasonous covert operations done by the Republican Party again and again and again. And in 1968, you had Hubert Humphrey running against Richard Nixon. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was president, a lame duck, but he was trying to solve uh, end the war in Vietnam before the election, which would have given uh, Humphrey huge chances. But Nixon had an intermediary, a woman named Anna Chenault, who met with uh, the Vietnamese president of Vietnam and got them to boycott the peace talks and sabotage the peace talks in Paris. And so Nixon was able to squeak into the election. Uh, and, and this has all sort of been really do well documented. There, there, there are audio tapes online you can listen to. Um, this happened, obviously, in 72, you had Watergate. So we had a lot more shenanigans there that everyone knows about. And what i am been interested in, what you raise, is the election of 1980, when I believe it, it, it did happen again. And at the time, Jimmy Carter was president of the United States. He was running for re-election uh, against Ronald Reagan and George Bush's vice presidential candidate. And uh, Iran had uh, captured 52 American hostages and was holding them. And the whole election came to, down to, could Carter bring the, the hostages back before the election? If so, there'd be a burst of patriotic fervor, and he, he probably would have won. If not, he could be uh, demolished as this weak president who let America be humiliated and completely ineffective. That's what the election was about. And what I, I found out, and other reporters did this as well, is that the Reagan-Bush campaign made a secret deal with Iran. Iran had just been taken over by Islamic fundamentalist revolutionaries led by Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, they really wanted to get rid of the hostages and take, they kind of had to because uh, Saddam Hussein in neighboring Iraq was amassing hundreds of thousands of troops on the borders and the Iran-Iraq war was just about to begin and they needed weapons and they had always gotten their weapons from the United States under the Shah of Iran who, who had immediately preceded Ayatollah Khomeini. So they needed American weapons and spare parts. And um, led by their campaign manager, William Casey, who was one of the greatest spies in American history, Casey made a secret deal with Iran saying, don't release the hostages. If you release the hostages, Jimmy Carter will win. If you keep them there, we'll give you a much better deal and we will arm you for your war with Iran. And that is what happened. And I think it was treasonous. It, was, it appears to be a violation of the Logan Law, which is never enforced, but uh, suggests that it was treasonous, uh, giving arms to a hostile foreign power, when you're not even part, uh, part of the government. They, they were private citizens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's an inflection point. And Reagan did so many bad things. I mean, the 
you know, the, the fairness doctrine he mentioned, he got rid of so much of the regulation, he the tax code and, and, and you know, lowering the, uh, you know, the tax rate for the, the mar- top marginal tax rate for the, for the very wealthy. Um, obviously, he completely, you know, shat the bed on the, the AIDS epidemic and, and, you know, completely fucked that up, at, you know, and on and on it goes. And uh, and his follower Trump did the same with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they I don't know. Do they want contagion? Maybe they do. Maybe they do. I don't know. Just seems like an awful lot. And, and now there's this through line. And then the judges that these people put into the Supreme well, Court. The, the, the Democrats have won the popular vote in seven out of the late last eight presidential elections and at the same time the Republicans have amassed a six to three supermajority in the Supreme Court. It is insane. Yeah, it really is. I mean if you if you look at it objectively, just as you know somebody beamed down from space looking at this, okay, so who won the election? Well Hillary had two point eight million more votes. Oh, so she won? Nope. Well, okay, why? Well, you know, we have this. It's, it sounds like a bullshit thing that I would have, like, explained to my little brother growing up to, to cheat him into me getting another round of something until I win. Like, it so- even sounds like bullshit. Right, right. Now, there's so many undemocratic parts of our the way we are constituted. I mean, I keep – the Dakotas have four senators. California yeah. has two. What's – you know – it, no one it, lives on the Dakotas. There's no one there. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it it and it's hard. You can't getting rid of the Senate. I mean, uh, you can't do it. You can't do it without blowing up everything and you can't blow up everything. So what do you do? I don't know. I had a crazy proposal that I, I said that because Texas uniquely among the states after the, the, the founding of the United States, only Texas and Hawaii used to exist as um, sovereign nations in their own right, right. that rather than letting everybody secede we should just invalidate the the tyler treaty and say oh texas you're not a state anymore sorry and then we get the 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 two of the worst senators are gone all of these horrible members of the house are gone their their whole like we have to protect the border that's gone and uh that's it then we can do some stuff well the texas republican party and its platform uh has a covenant saying that texas will <laughs> yeah and so if it's a desire to see it from the united states yeah that's alan west the guy that was the, the guy pictured today this very day it's by the way it's september 4th it's sunday of labor day weekend picture this very day in his in his like knights of malta flag cape and looking very much like a like a a, a bad superhero costume going with his kid on halloween i the cosplay that these guys do i mean it's really bizarre to me like how much dress up to these people need to do it's very strange well it's interesting as i said at the outset i was rereading um uh the rise and fall of the third reich and there are similar the, the they're all into costumes yeah right? they had a certain kind of art direction there was a, a real aesthetic to the nazis with the filmmaker lenny Riefenstahl and uh, the architecture of albert spear and hitler is a failed painter but he very concerned about Having spiffy uniforms. Yeah, but I, the Nazi iconography, like it's it's to, it's different. This is like uh, there's no art, there's no Lenny Riefenstahl of of MAGA, right? I, who is the there? There isn't anybody in there with a with an artful bone. Well, I, I'm not sure. Is in Donald Trump? I mean, uh, or he has his own aesthetic, if that's what you want to call it. I, I mean, mean he does, but it's a, it is a shit aesthetic. It's, it's, it's Atlantic City. It's, it's Vegas. <laughs> 
it's gold and glittery and uh flashy and uh it's it's nouveau riche uh american style i guess right yeah i don't know i i it's not even fun as kitsch or ironically. It's just awful. <laughs> it's just my, uh, and I don't know, you know, I he's taken away red hats forever. Like I see somebody wearing a red hat now and I'm like, who's that fucking guy? And then I look and it's just like a Cardinal's hat or something. And it's like, right. you know, <laughs> you, it, you can't, you can't win with this guy. So, um, so what do you think happens now with Trump? What's your give us as we wind down? Give us one prediction about where you think it'll be, say, in the next year. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I I, I hate this part, but I'll, I'll play. I hate it, too. I don't even know why I'm asking you this. I, one is I don't think I, I think there will be waves of conflict. OK, and I don't know how they'll play out. A lot depends on the first will be the midterms. Uh, if the Republicans mean, I, I think I've said, I think they're going to go all out to impeach uh, Biden. And regardless, they will be as obstructive as possible as long as Biden is, is there. Wouldn't surprise me if there were some violent episode coming up uh, when one of these events comes to a head, whether it's um, Roe and uh, whether it's abortion or 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 whatever, or, or the next set of elections. I mean, I can't imagine the next set of elections, uh, the uh, midterms won't have some election controversies going Yeah, on. yeah. Um, and I think in the end you have to, I mean, it's interesting to see what will happen with Liz Cheney, because right now, obviously, she ain't going nowhere in the Republican Party, but you have to look ahead and say three years and and I think in this recent round, since you went on vacation, <laughs> may have lost a few Republicans. Uh, just not that many, but but that um, what percentage the, the, of the party does he have? Seventy five percent? I I don't know. I mean, it's a big percentage, but seventy five percent of the Republican Party is not a winning number in a, in a major election. So the only way they can get around that is to cheat. Uh, the Republican Party is a minority party. Therefore, democracy is an existential threat to them. So for them to exist, they have to become an existential threat to democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. So but I don't know the particulars of how that will play out. And I'm glad to see more good signs in the Democratic Party. But we need more of that. And they've got to learn to fight, fight, fight. And, um, you know, during most of my lifetime, you've not had real fighting Democrats. Occasionally yeah. there are they are some. I'd love to see what happens with Beto in Texas. If, uh, if he wins, he could be a presidential contender. Totally, yeah. But he has to be governor first. And uh, the big question is the 2024, I think, you know, I'm very, very supportive of Biden and I'm with him all the way, but I think his age is a liability. And, you know, who, who knows? I mean, just given uh, uh, actuarial. Yeah. Know, actuarial but, tables plus monkey pox and COVID-23 and whatever else. Yeah. No, it's right. And, and I think Democrats need a, a, a stronger bench. Uh, that is, uh, I mean, who are the viable candidates of the next generation you know i think uh amy klobuchar maybe uh, yeah beto if he wins uh pete who does is a little young but 
I still hold out hope for Kamala. I think she's going to be okay. Ultimately, maybe not tomorrow, but ultimately. Oh, well, I support her, but I, I, I'm just afraid she's not going to be a hard election. Yeah. Well, the problem is they're, they they know she's a problem, so they've been they've been drumming up the, the the ways to attack her. And also, being the vice president sucks. It's inherently a shit job that is easy to spin as being lame, and you're lame if you're in the job, and blah blah blah. So right. And you- and your role is just not defined. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of this Biden progressive agenda is her agenda, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So, okay, if if you listening have not bought uh, Craig's books, House of Putin, House of Trump, and American Compromise, please do. I highly recommend them. And the ones before that, too. They're all good. Um, you know, Craig's been doing this a long time, and you read his stuff as I do, and I'm just like, Wow, he knew this 20 years ago, and I feel like I'm smart because I just figured it out an hour ago. Um, he's been down this road. He knows he knows where the where the bodies are buried, and the bodies are buried on the first hole at Bedminster, actually. But uh, <laughs> follow him on Twitter at Craig Unger U N G E R. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's great to see you. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fawcett. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail.